handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan, for NPR. Now, it's uh, 10.08 Eastern on August 16th in the year of our Lord, 2021. My co-host, Cookie, has made an appearance out here, clickety-clacketing along. And I'm sure when she realizes no one is here but the giant man wearing the Rudy Gobert jersey, she will go right back in and on cue, there she goes, not afraid of disrespecting her owner. I feel like I, I don't know, I think I've gotten a couple of new listeners just from a couple of comments I got on social media. So if you're a new listener, um, I don't know why Ron Reagan Jr. has become such an integral part of this uh, podcast, (laughs) but Uh, There are two reasons why. Uh, One is that I always found his atheist commercials smug, uh, even for atheist commercials. Uh, It's it's not even the message. Separation of church and state, uh, want a place in our, uh, our, our country for atheists to feel free to express or not express what they believe, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Totally fine. Uh, but the way he does it, he made Bill, he, he made Bill Maher, like in those commercials, he made Bill Maher look like a guy who's willing to hear both sides of the issue. <laughs> so I don't know why I always found those commercials funny. And they always ended with him going, Ron Reagan Jr., not afraid of burning in hell. And, uh, <laughs> but what really pushed it over the top, that's where it originated. But when I saw the Showtime series, um, on uh, the Reagans, uh, which I wanted to, I, I waited until I was done with Rick Perlstein's fourth book on the rise of Reagan. Once again, a quadrology I highly recommend if you have nine months to read uh, four books, but uh, really awesome and incredible. Uh, just really good, fascinating uh, history. Um, 
Ron Reagan was basically the, the borderline the star. Ron Reagan Jr. was borderline the star as far as interviewees went uh, on the Showtime documentary. And it was just fun and funny to see him applying that same smugness to roasting his parents for four episodes. <laughs> um, as I've said before, I think I said a few, maybe a couple months ago, I was like, I think Ron Reagan loved his parents, but I don't think he liked them very much. Uh, and it... It's, it's if you enjoy my random, not afraid of insert something here, then you might enjoy the uh, the Reagan's documentary series. Um, speaking of documentary series, before I get into a bunch of things for this episode, uh, everybody gushing, talking about the Malice at the Palace documentary on Netflix. Meh. I watched it. Meh. The uh, and the reason I kept thinking to myself, I'm like. In my head, I was like, I think I saw a better documentary. Was it an ESPN 30 for 30? I was forgetting where I had seen a much better version of the Netflix thing. And then I remembered, I was like, oh, it was the Ron Artest documentary, uh, Quiet Storm on Showtime. And I think it's still on Showtime. Uh, I told I told somebody that they should, uh, if they don't have Showtime, I think you can probably get like a month-long free trial. Uh but Quiet Storm, I, lo- I thought it was a great documentary in terms of how it talks about Queens and the, the sort of explosion of kind of major hip-hop stars that rose in the 90s along with Ron Artest's high school rise to McDonald's All-American and then obviously uh, St. John's and NBA All- volatile NBA All-Star. But there's a lot on the malice at the palace. And I thought it was so much better, even though... The Ron Artest documentary is like a full-length film, but as far as the Malice at the Palace stuff, it's obviously not the whole movie. It's probably uh, 30 minutes, but I felt like the interviews they did were funnier, more insightful. I felt like they got deeper into the Jermaine O'Neal and Ron Artest relationship that's so, sort of central to the Netflix one. But I thought the Netflix one, I was like, everybody was, I guess not as many people had seen, because I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, why does this feel like a not as good version of something I've seen before. And then I remembered it was the Ron Artest documentary. So if, if anybody out there enjoyed the Netflix documentary, obviously as something like kind of a first look or relook at it, I get it. But it is so, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be a hater. I, I like that even though I often am, the, the Quiet Storm is like an A for me. And in comparison, the, the Netflix one is like a C minus. And I'm not, I, I don't say that to shit on your parade. I'm just telling you, Quiet Storm in every way is more interesting, um, more in depth. It's just, it's just, you know, and I think Ron Artest may have had a hand in it, but it's remarkably honest and unfiltered interviews. Like Jermaine O'Neal, I don't, somebody was saying, somebody said to me that like, somebody on, 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 on Facebook, I think it told me Jermaine O'Neal had like, was part of, produced the, the Netflix one or something. And like, it was like a chance for him to tell a story, but I felt like he got to share and say way more on the Ron Artest documentary. I thought, it, like, I'm just telling you, Quiet Storm on Showtime, if you liked The Mouse at the Palace, like, you will love uh, Quiet Storm. I, I, I watched it twice. I made the Righteous Girlfriend watch it with me. Um, it was awesome. So there, there's one recommendation for you. Um, speaking of The Righteous Girlfriend, it was her, her birthday Saturday, so we had a nice day. We went out to breakfast which we don't do often. And I don't like to go out to breakfast too often. And I'll tell you why. I like my eggs a certain way, scrambled. And I kind of scramble them diner style where they come out like in like well-done sheets almost. I, I know places pride themselves on our fluffy, organic, raised by a fucking, 
uh, hipster farmer with love and tenderness. Um, and I buy, by the way, I buy organic pasture-raised eggs, okay? The most humane way to eat chicken abortions is the way I buy them at the supermarket. And I remember a woman at the supermarket said, what's the difference between these eggs? Because, you know, you can get your white styrofoam carton for $1.99 or you can get the ones I get for $45.50. No, for $6.99, still a generous markup. And I just said to her, I was like, mm, the chickens are treated better. That's really it. And she just said to me, oh, that's nice. She said, that's nice of you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, I'm a great person. Uh, so, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> cookie, can you shut the fuck up? In the words of Bo Burnham, can anybody just shut the fuck up for any amount of time at all? Cookie, you're ruining the podcast. I was on a fucking real flow regarding <laughs> eggs and my wealth in buying humanely treated chicken abortions. Can you just come here? Just come here. Okay. Be like Ed McMahon for this instead of a heckler. Okay. Can you calm down? So somebody's doing something in the hallway. Okay. It happens. You're fine. You go outside and you're chicken shit. Okay. So don't be tough here. Don't be tough here, Cookie Bear. Okay. We're having a podcast. So anyway, we, um, we go out for breakfast to one of these like, oh, brunch and our seven grain toast is made with the uh, fucking blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. But it was nice. We were in like a breezy street. So it was nice even though the day was going to be kind of warm. Um, and we're sitting outside being safe, not going inside because I don't trust, you know, Jersey, even in the radical left areas of Jersey, I don't trust these people. So we're eating outside for breakfast. She orders some, you know, fancy schmancy eggs and blah, blah, blah. and then I get let me just get some scrambled eggs and some toast because I'm uh, dieting I'm 28 pounds down by the way uh, when I reached my weight um, I'm technically I'm 35 pounds lighter than the the day I went to the cheesecake factory with my nephew but that was like an end of day just ate a giant piece of cheesecake and unhealthy movie snacks sort of weight the next morning, I weighed in, and I was seven pounds lighter than that. So that's how much water and salt and whatever my body just churns through. But I am 28 pounds down from the official weigh-in of that next morning. So 35 pounds down from the record high I've ever seen, but that's like not a legitimate, consistent weight uh, weighing part of the day. So morning weigh-in, 28 pounds down in uh, whatever that is, 23 Three plus three, 134, 50 days. So I'm 28 pounds down in 50 days. So uh, the pace is good. There's been no like dramatic dips in weight. So that's, that's good. So once again, we're on pace for an April, uh, get that refund check from the government, hopefully. Hopefully I don't owe more money. I can't see how I could owe more money this year since I'm already paying in advance and I'm not making as much money as I did last year. Um, but, uh, you know, Use that refund check to get a new wardrobe for the, uh, you know, 235-pound JL, which, is, uh, which will be a real beautiful thing to just feel better and hopefully not need knee surgery and not have a heart attack and um, just live my life as a tall, fit person who people confuse for an athlete and then get very disappointed when I inform them that, no, I'm just a comedic genius and attorney. Um, that happened the, uh, the other day. Uh, a guy said... Did you play for, I was wearing a Georgetown Law tank top, and uh, it's my shaming myself tank top until I'm ripped. 
And it's going to be sad because now I'm using that tank top to shame myself. Like, look at me. Look at me. I, I, I'm built like fucking a, a beige, fat trailer trash. Uh, but then the transition will happen once I'm ripped. People will just go, what a douchebag wearing that tank top. And I'll have to stop them on the street and say, no, I earned this. I shamed myself. And now I've earned this glorious renaissance of my pecs and my veiny arms and my thinner waist. And uh, so you're going to have to deal with it, New Jersey. Okay? It's not like Jersey isn't known for a bunch of douchebags showing off muscles. Okay? At the very least, I will just be surreptitiously welcomed in by Italian douchebags once I'm fit again. Okay? Okay? So, um, it's almost like the, the ugly duckling, right? Um, except not, I guess. It's like, you're not welcome here. You're not Italian. Oh, it turns out you're a biracial beauty. But then that doesn't happen. They'll just think I'm Italian. Um, that's one of the jokes I haven't told as much on stage, but I always enjoy it where I say, people say trust black women, but I say trust Italian women if you want to know if I'm half black because they never take a chance. Every, every woman who's ever matched with me online and then unmatched with me, uh, once they dug deeper into the demographics of my profile, uh, always an Italian chick from Jersey because they, they, they don't take the chance. They're willing to accept, their bigotry is willing to accept that I'm half black even if they thought I was Italian. Imagine, imagine their father, Tony Soprano's surprise when he shows up and goes, you know, I like this, uh, this giant paisan she's dating. And then they find out he's half eggplant. And then there'll be an even deeper betrayal. Uh, starting season four of The Sopranos, by the way, tonight. And uh, at the end of September, I can't wait. I'm getting into John Bernthal shape. So I'll be able to do a video as John Bernthal as Tony Soprano's father. Um, and uh, it will probably anger John Bernthal because he's never retweeted or shared or commented on any of my videos. I think he's like a serious actor with a, with a, temper, ta- with a temper problem. So uh, he probably hates me if he's even seen any of my videos. But anyway, back to the birthday. So we get uh, my eggs show up and they're like fluffy and like undercooked. And I'm sure it's how some douchebags like their eggs. I fucking found them disgusting. I ate the equivalent of one of three eggs. And even the toast sucked. It was some sort of seven grain bread that I'm sure is healthier. And it tasted like um, ass covered in butter. So uh, I didn't have a good breakfast. Righteous girlfriend enjoyed her breakfast. Um, and then, you know, I went and read, I left her, she went to the, she went to the the pool with her, with her brother's family. I went and read and then I hit the weights. Um, and then we went out to dinner to this place in uh, Montclair, Halcyon Brasserie. Um, the immature part of me always thinks Brasserie is a place where they serve you breasts or bras. Um, but we went there and the, uh, we were the only two people wearing masks. We sat inside and just took them off for food. And I know I'm, we're both vaccinated, and I've, I've traveled a lot and gotten, you know, since, since May, I've probably gotten five negative COVID tests, both because of the TV gig and just for my brother's caution, always encouraging me to get tested after I get um, go traveling. Um, it's like we're all porn stars now, except uh, COVID is the, uh, the black penis showering us in uh, cum, and we have to... Uh, continually get tested to live our facial porn uh, lives safely. Uh, that's just a graphic uh, nonsense. It's early in the morning. I don't know why I'm going there. That feels more like what I would do late at night. Go, you know, Retreating to sexual comments is sort of a crutch when I'm tired. 
comedically. That's why sometimes on Making Podcasts Great Again, uh, my uh, very popular Trump podcast, still going strong, uh, not afraid of beating a dead horse. And it, <laughs> it, some of the best episodes we have are when I'm most lazy and I just make Trump into a perverted, incestuous, like, sex monster, which is, like, true, but it also doesn't feel great to do. But anyway, you get my point. We, 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 I keep getting tested um, and keep getting negative. But I just figured we walked in and we were the only two people wearing masks and, like, even the staff was almost entirely unmasked. But I just thought, well, that's even more reason. I don't trust – I can't trust everybody in here. And I'm not trying to get Delta. Not that I'm nervous about having, like, some breakthrough case or getting sick or hospitalized, but I'm like, I just don't want to be somebody who gets it and, like, passes it on in a supermarket. I mean, I'm wearing a mask in supermarkets again anyway. You know, I just figure it doesn't hurt me. And uh, But it did feel weird wearing a mask indoors, like, at the restroom because no one else was. But we just took them off for food just, just out of uh, cautious respect for Delta. But the, main, the, the host, I felt like, kind of looked at me weird for us wearing masks. And I don't know if they think, because my whole thing is, like, if I'm wearing a mask, it probably means I'm extra careful, but maybe they think we're unvaccinated. And that's the delicate dance, because would an unva- the people who are still unvaccinated, I guess some of them do the right thing. But I feel like a lot of them don't. Um, and we're just waiting for an excuse to abuse the honor system. But you know, maybe they're looking at us going, hey, they're probably doing the right thing, but it's also creepy that they haven't gotten vaccinated yet. But we're both vaccinated. And uh, yeah, but the host looked like, I, I called it, I was calling it Cobra Kai Brasserie because he looked like, he kind of looked like William Zabka, aka Johnny Lawrence from The Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. Um, Cobra Kai, by the way, another series, I think I mentioned this on the uh, Emmys bonus, but uh, Unbelievable. They nominated the worst season of the show. Seasons one and two were so good and nobody, my friends wouldn't get the YouTube YouTube premium even with a free trial month. They just wouldn't, I was like, you'll like it. And then it shows up two years later on Netflix and they're like, Cobra Kai is awesome. I'm like, I know. I don't know why you didn't trust me on this one. Um, I know it was too demanding to go get a free month trial of YouTube to watch it. But the third season I thought stunk. I was very disappointed. It started to get really cheesy and stupid. Anyway, but that's the one they nominated because, uh, you know, COVID and quarantine made everybody um, humor, retarded everyone's humor. So now we like nice things instead of funny things. Yay, nice. Uh, Bad time to be me, funny and mean. Um, And I don't mean mean on stage. I mean mean in real life. Uh, But anyway, we had a delicious dinner. Um... And then uh, we had uh, ice cream cake because um, Righteous Girlfriend, uh, confession, she's nine. And, uh, but love knows no age. And she, <laughs> she enjoys uh, Carvel ice cream cakes. And we live right near a Carvel. And um, I enjoy the shit out of Carvel as well, both the nostalgia and the taste. But I will say this. Since I've been eating clean, bro, I, uh, I went and got... As a treat to myself, because I was within my calorie counting, I said, hey, you know what, Wednesday nights are buy one Sunday, get one free at, at our local Carvel. So I said, let's go get us. I'm feeling, let me get like a little, just like a nice little medium Sunday, some hot fudge and a whipped cream and cherry, you know, just real Americana shit. And I got it. And then you realize when you're eating that soft serve ice cream, you're like, this is all chemicals. And my stomach responded accordingly. And it was like, you've been eating clean, bro. Why are you putting chemicals in your temple? And uh, the ice cream cake seems to be much more ice cream than chemical because it's obviously it's not soft serve. It's like real chocolate and vanilla ice cream. 
but it's still been doing backflips in my stomach. So that's why I don't advise people to eat healthy because then when you want to enjoy yourself once in a while, your stomach beats you up. It abuses you. It goes Ike Turner on you just, just for trying to have a nice uh, once in a while treat. So I feel like I'm already getting to that level. It's like, uh, for a, when I really want to spoil myself, I have a cup of berries with some lemon water. That's when I'm really spoiling myself and having a good time. It's like, no, I want to spoil myself with a burger, fries, and a giant 5,000-calorie piece of cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. But maybe I can't do that anymore. Maybe I can't do that. So maybe my best days are all behind me, even, even in terms of food. So it's a sad day, folks. But we're 28 pounds down, and what really counts is looking good and being unhappy. And that's the path I've chosen right now. So, um, but it was a nice birthday. It was pleasant. It felt like a real, uh, it, was a, it was a blessing because I got to just feel like a real full day off, you know? Just a, no, no comedy, no nothing, no work. Just, um, just birthday celebration and cake and tasty salmon at a bra shop. So, <laughs> Uh, oh, guys, I don't know if you know this, but I've got some shows coming up. And I'm working uh, currently, working hard to get some respect from a few clubs that I've worked before. But I would like, I'm hoping to make a DC trip, an Ann Arbor trip, and uh, a definite fall booking in Salt Lake City. That's, that's a big one for me because that's just going to be a show that I use to offset going to the jazz, going to see the jazz play among the mountains. Um, and Chicago has also contacted me and said, uh, and, but it, this podcast is such a funny way to see how many people actually sort of pay attention or care about anything beyond like a Trump video because, you know, people will be like, Oh, you're coming here. I'm like, well, you don't listen to the show, obviously, because the show and the new, the website newsletter, which I encourage you all to sign up for at the bottom of the homepage of jlcomedy.com, um, those are the only ways, the foolproof ways to get through the algorithm is if you don't even find out about me from social media sites. Because every time I post a video now, somebody goes, we've missed you. And I'm like, good God, please, while I have your attention, please sign up for, subscribe to YouTube and sign up for my newsletter because then you won't miss videos or big news. But people are conditioned now to trust the least trustworthy industries in the world, uh, social media companies to go, well, they'll just show me what I want to see. And it's like, no, they won't. Um, I just realized that today I'm guilty of it. I haven't seen a Gary Gullman post in like four months. One of my favorite comedians who I've been following for, for years. Um, so that's one of those things that I have to correct and be like, let me actively go to his page instead of just waiting for Twitter to show me his next funny tweet or show announcement. But that's just one example. But um, September 26th, Philadelphia, Helium Comedy Club. Um, as much as I stress the Boston venue being important, this is way more important because this is a chain of clubs that I've worked and I feel like I've gotten a little bit of a short shrift from them um, because I'm not managed, because I have no leverage. So the only way to gain leverage is to pack the place. Now, I know I have a lot of Philly area fans. So if you are able to, uh, it's a Sunday evening, 7 p.m. show. So you'll be home in time for uh, a good night's sleep before the workday. But um I love that club. I've worked that club a lot, and um, I would love to pack the place because both because I love it there and it'll pay me money, but also it's the only way for me to sort of flex on the club and be like, see, this is why you were supposed to give me a weekend and not like a shitty night of the week. Like, 
I have produced for you on shitty nights before. I have a big fan base. So, so if you're listening to this and you're anywhere near Philly, um, uh, please. And I don't mean like if you're anywhere near Philly and you can't make another, like obviously if you're in New York, <laughs> no, don't come to Philly. But uh, if you are anywhere near Philly, please uh, come to the show. Uh, it would mean a lot. And it will be a great show because this is that's a month from my special recording. So that's those these shows become very important in terms of warm ups for the actual taping. Um, I will be in Raleigh, North Carolina at Good Nights on October 6th at 8 p.m. So if uh, if I have any North Carolina people, I know I know Charlotte is far away, but hopefully I have some people listening who are within the vicinity of Raleigh would love to, to obviously have a decent showing there. And then uh, October 23rd, thankfully over the weekend, some people bought tickets. Uh, so that's good. I'd like to see those numbers keep going up. But like I said, no time like now to get tickets, tell your friends to get tickets. Um, I need, I, I want and need to pack out the two shows that I'm doing on October 23rd for my special for obvious reasons. That's, I mean, the special, the comedy is going to be good a hot crowd will make it uh, a better sell, obviously. So don't wait. Um, just go to jlcomedy.com calendar page, and links are right there for the Philly, Raleigh, and New York shows. And like I said, I am this week contacting dozens of clubs again, <sighs> mostly clubs I've already worked, which is why it makes it so frustrating to not get the, the, the professional courtesy of a reply, let alone a booking. Um, but, you know, D.C., Ann Arbor, Chicago, Salt Lake City are my sort of next targets. And uh, for all you West Coast people, I know I have a lot of West Coast people. I just can't, with my vacation time at work, my guess is that in early 2022 is when I might try to try to start arranging for like a L.A., San Francisco, kind of Seattle, Portland kind of run. Um so early 2022, trust me, you were not forgotten. I get a lot of, got to come to the West Coast. I know, I want to come to the West Coast, but you have to understand, uh, with my, where my career is at, I haven't yet quit a day job um, because comedy, clearly, my, I'm, if, if you doubted my, valid, my, my, my caution, the fact that I have been able to get almost no bookings after the year I had in 2020, and we're including dozens of clubs that I've worked in the past, like pre-2020, clubs I've already worked and have a relationship with, you know, that should tell you everything you need to know about why I took a cautious approach and was like, I'm quitting and I'm going to travel the country doing indie venues, making $95 profit. Um, so I am at the, I'm beholden to my vacation time right now. Now I can work remotely, but obviously I prefer at some point to also travel for comedy and not have to work in a hotel for eight hours doing legal work. Um, so that said, the way I figure it is Philly is on a weekend. Raleigh is a two days of vacation. New York City is my home place. So I don't even and a weekend. So I don't even have to take time off of that. So basically a DC and a Salt Lake City trip would be the rest of my vacation for the year, which I'm very fine with. Um, so that's what I'm working on. But then next year, you know, obviously I would like to do a West Coast swing. Um, because I have a lot of big cities and I have a lot of fans out there. So you are not forgotten. Early 2022 is when I'm going to start. I, I mean, I'm going to start trying to plan it now. Um, you know, possibly Flappers in Burbank. I've worked there before. I would, I would think they'd be amenable once they see all the shit I've done. Uh, I would hope they'd be amenable to uh, giving me a, a show of my own 
um, on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Uh, so, or a weekend, fuck it. But, um, and then just make my way up to San Francisco, book some sort of independent gig there and uh, make my way up all the way up the West Coast. Because I know I have, I've, I've gotten a lot of good feedback and consistent feedback from West Coast people. Probably because the algorithm is like, oh, he's so far away. Let's show, let's show the West Coast people all his stuff because he's not going there. <laughs> so he can't make a profit and abuse our system to try and build his business. We'll just, we'll show him to all the people where he's not going. I do sometimes think that where I'm like, hey, Philadelphia, I'll be in your city. And then I get like four likes and I'm like, did you not show that? Did you intentionally shot not show this to anybody in the Philadelphia area? Because um, I have like 200 people from Philly on my email list serve, and yet it'll get like three likes when I'm like, "Come on, Philly! I know you're a big city, and I have a lot of fans near you." And the algorithms will just suppress it anyway. Um, that's your show. That's your show uh, update. So please, I keep saying this, and I, I'm sure it sounds repetitive, but you gotta understand, like. Ticket sales um, are the only currency that I really have until I get representation. It's the only power I have. And it's very frustrating um, to have to rely on that, but that really is it. Like, Helium has shown me uh, probably the least amount of respect you could possibly show somebody who has done as well at their club for as many years as I have. I'm not saying they've disrespected me, but it's like, you know, I might as well have been a stranger who never worked their club. So like the only way for me to, to, to prove my worth and to, to expand some of the clubs I can work is to sell 200 tickets on a Sunday. Um, and that's a lot. But if I do that, then it's like, holy shit. And then I don't leave there until they give me a weekend in 2022. Uh, so that's just... The power is, is fortunately or unfortunately in your hands, so I have to keep asking. So Philly, Raleigh, New York City, get the tickets this week. Why wait? Um, it'll, it'll ease my stress uh, if that means anything to you. Um, so if you're planning on going to those shows or you're figuring, oh, and by the way, um, New York City shows, uh, because it's a theater in New York City, uh, they will be requi- vaccination will be required. So if that's been a holdout for some people in terms of your safety or concerns, uh, that, that makes me feel better um, and should make you feel better. So vaccinations will be required for the New York City shows. So I hope, you, uh, I hope that, that helps some of you go, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, that reminds me. Oh, good, it's going to be totally safe, and we get to CJL produce one of the greatest specials of all time. Awesome, perfect, let's get tickets. Let's not make him stress out anymore about ticket sales not being robust enough. Okay, so that's it, guys. Righteous Prick fans, I'm depending on you. Uh, Get it done. Uh, Okay. Service announcement over. And also, of course, check out Making Podcasts Great Again, my other great podcast. Um, Still going strong. Anything else to promote? Cameos? Whatever. Just a reminder that I'm still doing them, still getting orders, still make me happy to do them. I still deliver these five, six minutes. Anyway, jocovan.com, everything you need from my bio to my Social media links, blah, 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 blah. Boring. I'm bored. Let's move on. A few recommendations, folks. Um, I know I talked up Mr. Mercedes last week. I finally finished the series. Uh, Just a very strong, super strong show on Peacock. Um, And I watched two HBO Max shows over the last week. Uh, Because I'm trying to 
I'm trying to mix in, I'm going to resume Sopranos, but I'm trying to mix in like the Emmy shows that I didn't see. So the next three Emmy shows I have to watch are Queen's Gambit, Mayor of Easttown, and uh, Lovecraft Country. I'm going to give that another shot. Uh, but, so I want to watch those before the Emmys, which I think are like September 20th or something. But the first of the shows that I hadn't seen yet that's Emmy nominated was Hacks, which uh, stars the beautiful and talented Gene Smart, uh, who is just, it's like, what if Betty White were like a little more sarcastic and cunty, which is just right up my alley. Um, but she is so good, uh, on that show. Um, and I hope she wins the Emmy for best actress in a comedy. I think, I think she will. I, I think she might be the favorite, but, uh, she carries that show. Uh, it's a really good show. Um, I enjoyed watching it, but it's really her. It's it's not that it would be a bad show without her, but I think she is just she's clearly the LeBron of 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 that cast. You know, twenty sixteen Cleveland LeBron. Um, but uh, I definitely would recommend it, and it was a good break. You know, just ten half hour comedy episodes instead of all the drama and intense shit that I have uh, ready to watch. Um, and the other show I watched on HBO Max, which I almost gave up on, but I'm happy I didn't, is called The Prince, which is a cartoon, like almost like an adult swim. Like each episode is like 14 minutes and there's 12 episodes. Uh, it's about the royal, it's a comedy, like a family guy style comedy about the royal family. And I was like, why is this so family guyish? And then one of the, the, the head writer of it, the creator of the show was a family guy writer. Now, the reason I almost quit the show was the baby Prince George is like the main character, sort of. And it's basically just Stewie from Family Guy. Like it was it was kind of annoying where I was like, oh, you just he's just Stewie. That that feels unoriginal. But and I was gonna be like, eh, it's okay, but I can do without this show. But I was just it was the kind of thing where I'm like, I'm a little sleepy. Maybe I'll watch one more episode because it's only like 15 minutes and then I'll get ready for bed. The when they focus on all the other members of the family, like the, the main character is the only one, kind of like Brooklyn Nine-Nine with Andy Samberg. The main character is the only one I'm like, oh, God. And everybody else I, I thought was great. Um, it's like that with this show. Orlando Bloom does the voice for Prince Harry. Makes me laugh out loud because they, they everybody, you know, they have William and Kate Middleton are like the the stuffy, angry schemers. And the animation is very funny, especially on William. And then Harry and Meghan are like in LA and he's beyond clueless on how real life works. And the voice work by Orlando Bloom is really good. Not, it's not an impression. It's just really good comedic voice acting. And, you know, they kind of make fun, they make fun of everybody, but especially the jokes about Harry and Meghan are really funny. Like he thinks she was like a cult, she's like, oh, is, do they know you from Suits, the show that you, call, that you told us was a cultural icon in America? And, but they rip everybody. Prince Philip is like practically Weekend at Bernie's in the show, which is kind of, funny and sad since I think they probably finished the show before he passed away. <laughs> but um, 
it's really good, even though I found the main character the most unoriginal thing in the show because it was basically just Stewie from Family Guy. But I would recommend that too, especially as like a little break, like these little chunks, these little 15-minute chunks. Um, but once I got past the annoyance with Stu- Prince Stewie, uh, really found myself laughing at a lot of the stuff. Um, and especially my favorite, my favorite is by far the treatment of William and Kate and Meghan and Harry. So I don't know. I think that's, those, are, those are both worth your time if you need some laughs. Um, Mr. Mercedes is not a comedy, although there is some levity. It is a, uh, God, can't say enough good things about that show. It's, 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 I think Mr. Mercedes is sort of a good case for we have too much content because what probably happened is I remember it was originally a direct TV show, um, probably when they were trying to, you know, boost their, um, boost their content or whatever. And I didn't have direct TV and I didn't know anywhere to go for direct TV. Um, except a bar and they would not stop playing football for me to go, can you mind, uh, let's watch some Mr. Mercedes. So Stephen King show on direct TV. No, we can't do that. Okay. I'll have a, a Bud Light and a hamburger, please. Uh, but that's a show that if it had been showcased on HBO or, or Showtime or AMC or, um, Netflix, I think would have been a humongous hit. Uh, and it's just one of those things like so much gets buried, like we're force fed so much that I'm like, yeah, that was okay. And then other stuff just gets buried. There's, we just really have too much. Um, it's a great time probably to get, I, I'm sure to get paid to produce or create a show, but you know, that's been my whole thing. It's like one of the things that na- gnaws at me about my comedy legacy. If I ever leave one, I mean, I will, but you know, one that people care about, uh, on mass is, yeah, well, I've made a lot of great stuff that, like, people won't see. Obviously, they've seen the, the videos. Those, those you, know, you know, those have earned me some notoriety. But it's, it's the idea of, like, making really good stuff that just nobody sees. And, not, and I feel like at this point, you know, I often, I often joke. I say, if I made a show that could get sold... I think I'd want I'd want it to be on HBO, even if it meant fewer viewers than Netflix, because I feel like when something goes on HBO, it just gets, for the most part, it just gets that that almost that old money feel. Whereas new Netflix is like new money to make an analogy. It's like yeah, oh you can you can live large and have, but it's like a prestige show on HBO is just still the gold standard. I think. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, I get it. It's a business, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if you paid me $5 million for my show to get buried or you paid me half a million and my show would be showcased. I'd want that. Cause I'm, you know, you make some of it, you make it for yourself, but some of it, you make it for, you want it to be consumed, appreciated and, and have a legacy because you think it's worth sharing. So I want it shared. Um, otherwise I would just keep a diary or a journal. So, um, but yeah, so there's three things you can watch. Mr. Mercedes, the first two seasons are free on the, like Peacock. Like, so if you don't even get the pay plan, you just have to watch commercials, I think. But Hacks and the Prince, both good, solid, uh, comedy offerings on HBO Max. So next up for me will be, as far as movies go, I'm going to watch Suicide Squad this week because I'm going to have to review it for the Patreon of Making Podcasts Great Again. So Suicide Squad's the next movie up. And the next show will be season four of The Sopranos. 
followed by most likely mayor of East Town. Okay, so uh, there. You don't care, do you? No, I don't even care. I don't even know why I said that, to be honest. Um, and the book I'm currently reading, because my Jimmy Carter book was missing 30 pages. Not only did it get damaged in a rainstorm, but it recovered. I felt bad. It had recovered. It was tattered, but, but intact. The book jacket was a little faded and worn, but it, it had held. It held the line. Um, but then I got to page 244 or 242 and 30 pages were just missing from the book. So publishing error, um, you know, pre comedy mogul me would have been like, I am going to complain to Barnes and Noble and say, send me a new book or tweet at the author who follows me on Twitter. But, uh, Instead, I just bought a new copy, which arrived. But in the meantime, I started reading The Some of Us by Heather McGee, which is, I'm 100 pages in, so that's a third of the book. And it is uh, powerful, educational, and really good. Um, the full title is The Some of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. Now, the how we can prosper together thing is probably pie-in-the-sky solutions that would work, but that have no uh, potential. But I'm not to the solutions part yet. We're We're all deep into the... The thesis of the book is basically throughout American history, uh, black and brown people, but obviously mostly black people, have been the, 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 the subject of discrimination. And when it was just affecting them, everybody was okay with it. But then it was really more like an experiment by the powers that be once they realized they could exploit the poor of all races and the middle class of all races. Um, but it started with racism. And then those things were applied to broader populations and they only became issues when they hit broader populations. But if people had been observing and respectful and responding to these struggles within the black community when they were the targets, uh, but they lacked the political power um, and the societal will to change things, uh, we could have nipped all these things in the bud and had a more fair and equitable society for everybody. I think I just summed up the book really well, but I'm 100 pages in and it is... Uh, it is not a fast read, but it's an interesting, thought-provoking read. So it's not like something that I really am – I'm not going through it quickly because I can't. You just want to absorb all her information. And her writing is uh, uh, really strong. There are some real great turns of phrases. Um, let me – hold on for one second, guys. Let's talk amongst yourselves. I want to see if I can – I usually don't do this. This is the province of Rod reading Rainbow on the Black Eye Tips. But there was, there was a passage – uh, at the end of one of the chapters that was, and I might not find it. Um, oh, man, I'm not going to find it, but God, it was so good. I should have, I usually don't like carry a pen and shit with me, but my God, the, the phrasing was really a work of art that would probably sum up the book very well. Um, I will not, continue to look for very long, much longer, but I just, if I could find it, it'd be worth your time. I'm going to stop looking at about, oh, yes, I just came. Here it is. Talking about how Lehman Brothers was established by slaveholding people and then ended when they had done so much to back instruments that were exploiting land-owning black people. So listen to this. This is about the collapse of Lehman Brothers. This should get you to want to buy this book, I think. And I heard, I heard an interview with her on my friend Pete Dominic's podcast. So uh, a very good news, daily news podcast with good interviews. So she was a guest of my friend Pete Dominic, and uh, that's when I bought the book. 
Um, by the end of the next summer, the illusion had been broken. In a free fall that began on a weekend in mid-September, Lehman Brothers would go on to lose 93% of its stock value. Here we go, guys. A company born out of a system that treated black people as property died from self-inflicted wounds in the course of destroying the property of black people. Ooh, that's, I mean, that is, that's the kind of bars you can expect from this book that really just, it's, it's that, I thought that was, uh, just so, such a good, a good phrasing. Um, Layman's fate provides no justice for the enslaved people whose misery the company enabled in the 19th century, nor for the dispossessed homeowners ruined by layman owned mortgages in the 21st century, but it is a reminder that a society can be run as a zero-sum game for only so long. Uh, yes, I'm glad I found that because that is poetry. Uh, but yeah, I'm really enjoying the book. Uh, very thoughtful. Uh, very, very well written. So that's, that's, a, that's a treat to open that up each day. So I'll probably have that done in, I'm guessing, if I just go a chapter a day, probably in like, maybe by, maybe by next episode, I'll be back to Jimmy Carter. Uh, so I'll be able to tell you about that. And, and I know I've promised the Jemmy content to those of you who are diehard listeners. And I just, it's just, it's establishing new things right now is just so daunting for me because I'm so stressed about the current projects I'm working on. But I really would like to start a thing where I do movie reviews, bonus podcasts, book reviews, and live shows like Zoom shows each month. So I, I am still committed to doing that, but probably if we're being honest, maybe Labor Day weekend. I, well, Labor Day weekend, I'm going to the US Open for a couple of days. So no, scratch that. But maybe by Labor Day weekend, it would be good if I could if I could launch that. So that's something. And I don't want to make it too expensive as I've talked before. But, you know, it'd be nice to reach all the fans that I can't get to now, tomorrow, or in the next year, but also to keep pumping out good stuff that's worth your money and your time. So uh, I think that's it for for this week. This is a pretty uh, non-hateful, uh, non-depressing episode, which is, uh, I guess, good. I guess the blueberries and eggs are still hitting me um, uh, in a good way. You know, positive energy, eating clean, not afraid of missing cheesecake. So that's it. Thank you for listening, guys, as always. If you haven't, please leave a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, subscribe to my YouTube. Like I always say, there's a lot of free ways to, to support me, which really do help. Uh, five-star reviews, subscribe to both podcasts, subscribe to both YouTube channels, all free things. Um, so, uh, there's always, I'll always plug shit that you can pay for, but, um, you know, money, money I understand is, is tight, has been tight, will be tight for many people. Um, so, but you know, reviews and subscriptions to free stuff still helps. Helps my numbers, helps algorithm, and, and obviously YouTube views actually do pay in the aggregate. So they cost you nothing. But um, So if you like my stuff on Twitter or wherever you like this podcast, give, give some reviews, subscribe to some free stuff. And if you have money, well, God damn it, then buy some stuff. Um, and that's it. But the most important thing right now to buy is obviously tickets to see me in Philly on September 26th at Helium. Raleigh at Goodnights on October 6th and uh, get your tickets, spread the word, get a group of friends together for um, and get tickets ASAP for my uh, special recording, 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Pete Dominic opening for me, the aforementioned Pete Dominic. Uh, Triad Theater, West 72nd Street in Manhattan. It'll be a phenomenal night and uh, I promise I will deliver uh, 
I really believe it'll be the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, album and special of my career. So not afraid of setting high expectations because the truth is, guys, and here's a slightly morbid note, the way I'm approaching this special from a content perspective and a spiritual and psychological perspective is it might be the last show of my career. I, and not, sh- not show like last time I step on stage, but it, it could very well be the final special I produce. It could be the last big thing I do because, you know, as I try to assess my life and my happiness and uh, the stress and bitterness um, that the absolute stupidity of the comedy industry has, has given me is, is probably consumes too much of me. So if this special... Is, is really good and my fans buy it, well, thank you very much. But if it doesn't reach the level that I hope it reaches, that I think it would be worthy of reaching, I don't know if I have another more years in me to keep going, I got to keep, I got more stuff. I got more stuff to share. I will always be able to generate things and think about things, but it's, it's the emotional cost of seeing so much mediocrity rise and so much pandering um, uh, 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 and laziness on the part of the industry, um, that it's, it's something I, I feel like I will probably have to remove myself from if I don't. And, 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 you know, one of the things is trying to find my place where I go, I'm actually happy with where I'm at. And maybe that's why I can make so much good stuff and why I kind of have this, this bitter edge that, that fuels so much of what I do comedically. But at some point, you got to choose, try to choose happiness. So what I'm hoping is that this special, that I deliver what I think will be the best work of my career to an expanded audience with, with somebody producing it with, who has maybe a little more industry clout than me, like giving myself the best possible chance for this special to change the trajectory of my career, which is such a weird thing to say. And I probably sound stupid saying that because 2020 changed the trajectory of my career. I'm now, I now get some, some acting offers. And I now have hundreds of thousands of fans and thousands of podcast listeners and tens of thousands of YouTube subscribers. That's all great. But it hasn't changed my career, which I really thought it would have. But you know, I'm still struggling to get people to reply to my emails. I can't get people who I've worked with to sort of be professional with me. So it really hasn't, without that enforcer in the form of an agent, or manager to leverage their power to help me. I really thought I had done all that I needed to do, both artistically and social media wise, to to be someone who would be, um, you know, a draw and a, and a, and, a, and and somebody that people would work with, especially places I've worked with in the past. That's that's the most bizarre thing, but it hasn't. So my career is still stagnant. My bank account is better. I have more fans my career is sort of proving the limitations of the bullshit that people tell us about do it yourself. You don't need the middleman. You absolutely need the middleman because the middleman is the one who gets the respect period. That's, that's just the facts. That's not what we want it to be. We want to think some Horatio Alger bullshit can happen, but it can't. And, and it doesn't because I did all that could be done and I am still stuck stand-up comedy-wise, where I was in 2019. I will most likely, even though the gigs I'll be doing are headlining gigs, I will almost certainly at this point have fewer gigs in 2021 than I did in 2019 when nobody knew who the fuck I was and I was a middle act. It's 
bizarre at best. I say bizarre, but it's infuriating and enraging is how it really feels. So uh, thank you for indulging me with this, by the way, because I gave you 45 minutes of pretty good positivity. So you knew it had to come out at some point. But um, but yeah, so the special, and I'm approaching it from a content perspective as I got nothing to lose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a lot of shit and I'm going to expose a lot of stuff about my, you know, about some things I've done in the past that um, are going to be like, I think, really great, but that some, some people who aren't probably really fans of mine will, will take offense at. And to me, I go, who gives a shit? And I mean that. I'm like, I've said this before. Comedians now are are algorithm pandering tools. There's, you know, oh, you're funny, but it's not working out. Well, become become an angry conservative white pundit. Turn your comedy threads into that, and that will boost you in the algorithm. Oh, um, you're not you're not that funny, but you're a a, 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 you're a a double hyphen uh, demographically. Pander, make white people feel comfortable and make them feel like you're their uh, fill in the blank friend. Um, there is, there is, and this, of course, there's plenty of talent in comedy, but it really has become, I don't even know if it's bifurcated, but it's really become segregated in a certain way between, um, the people who are already in, who can do what they want, who've already been grandfathered in through their management agents and get to just continue to be successful comedians. But the way to rise now is to either be a sort of pander to the left or pander to the right. And both think that they're doing great comedy and doing what real comedy is, and neither is. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is just saying, if I, and I think I said this on a podcast, not my own, but somebody else, but I said, if I have to like check my shit, why am I doing comedy? And I'm not talking about saying offensive things. I'm not talking about saying slurs and being, but I'm saying if I can present funny stuff and I have to, but I have to like temper it in an attempt to be successful, the one thing that I can say proudly about my comedy career is I, it's been a tough road, but I'm going to succeed the way I want to succeed with the work that I want to produce. Not as a, well, if I were to take this angle, that might, no, I'm going to take the angle that I think is funniest and that is most unique to me. Not the angle that I think, I mean, I guess I could get on stage. I'm going to talk like it's the special will be called half blackface and I'm going to talk about a lot about race and my experience, but not in a, I have been hurt and nobody sees my truth as a person of color. I could probably pull that off or I could pull off, I'm a person of color and I'm going to tell you right now, people of color need to shut the fuck up. Like there's the two sides. There's the two angles to take. One is I in my, I stand here in my truth telling you my, and the other angle is to be like, fuck your truth, you fucking scumbags. And I don't want to take either because neither of those would be honest to me. And it wouldn't be funny to me either. Like my goal, like when I describe a certain sketch I did and longtime fans of mine will know what I'm talking about, I did a sketch that I was comfortable doing, but also I understand society. 
And it was the one sketch where I told everybody to get out of the room. And I jokingly wrote it like I was like a bomb guy in the hurt locker. Like, get back. I'm the only one wearing the bomb-proof suit. Everybody get the fuck out of the room. And I had my makeup person there. She was like, I wasn't nervous, but you're making me nervous because I understood the potential consequences of doing this, even though I stood by both my right to do it my and, and the humor in doing what I was doing. And it was one of those things where I was just like, yeah, I'm still going to do it because I believe in it, but I also have to believe in it from a realistic perspective and from where we are in society. And I'm going to talk about stuff like that, but I'm also going to talk about my upbringing, my background, like in part of it and how how infuriating it was to have people say, oh, you're, you're just a white guy stealing from a black woman because that was calling into question every identity I had. And that if I, but then those same people didn't feel corrected. Like, because I didn't make liberal white people who liked a certain lip syncer, I didn't make them feel owned because they could still look at me and sort of say, well, you don't look half, but you look kind of Italian. You look like a white guy to me. You haven't paid the price. You haven't had... And, and, you know, I talk about, you know, what there's, I think, from both sides. I don't make progressives feel good about supporting a person of color because they look at me and go, you look like a villain from a Spike Lee movie. So I want your comedy to make me feel good, not just because it's funny, but because I'm supporting and being an ally. And on the other side, I think there's sometimes resentment or shit talking from other people who'll be like, I feel like they feel like I don't pay the black tax, the unspoken black tax of struggling. I just get to claim that I'm part of that community, but I don't, I don't get called, I hear racist shit, but I don't get called racist shit. I, people don't, cab drivers don't, don't skip me. People don't follow me around in stores. So I don't get, I'm not paying the tax to be able to be quote unquote cool. And that's like, that's sort of what I'm, I'm, I'm exploring through jokes, obviously, but it's that idea of, you know, I, I, and when people say, what do you mean the cool? I'm like, here's what I mean. When you, when a black dude wears a fedora, how many white people will go, look at that fucking douchebag. No, but you know what? You could, cause he's wearing a fedora. But if a white dude strolls out in a fedora, you're like, look at this fucking Jason Mraz scumbag. And that's, that's the cool points that I'm referring to. The, the societal bump that we say, yeah, it's just cooler when a black dude does it cause they're the leaders of the culture. They lead American pop culture. In, in, in most ways. So we're, and a white dude who we even think is trying to be cool or do that, if he's not doing it in a certain way, we, we feel more comfortable shitting on that person. And all that to say, where I'm, this special is just sort of a, I hate to use this phrase because it's so trite, but it's like out of fucks to give. It's like, what more can you do? I got roasted by assholes who aren't even real comedy fans for calling lip sync videos cute. Like that was too condescending. So it's like, I'm not going to win over those people. All I can do is try to aim for real comedy fans who want something unique and strong and funny. And, you know, I always tell the righteous girlfriend, her favorite comedian, probably including me, is is the late, great Greg Giraldo. And I, I say, I genuinely thought by this time I would have been the next Greg Giraldo, except with more tools in my toolkit, main, you know, impressions and sketch work. But I thought I would, I, I believe I am every bit where with the right push, I could be, I could be the, the Greg Giraldo 2.0. And I don't know, that's not, that sounds arrogant, but fuck it. That's, that's what I, I know, I know how good I am, how insightful I am and how, how strong and, and kind of unique, unique some of my material is. 
But this one, this is the one where I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, I'm not going in with fear on this one from a, I've got no fear, bro. I'm just going to say what I say. No, I'm, I'm not looking to make a point with my bravery. I'm looking to make a point with my comedy. And the point being, this could be my last one. Like if this doesn't hit, I don't think I have, I don't think it would be right for me to continue pursuing it in my mental state of sort of bitterness and, and, and unhappiness. So it's, I'm on a, this, is, this feels like, you know, a potential last season. And I don't mean that as a threat or if you don't come, I'm not doing comedy anymore. I just mean, I think this is the one. I think this is the, I've, I've set things up for this to elevate my career. And I think this is, this is going to be the best. This is, I hope and believe that it will surpass thoughts and prayers and keep my enemies closer. And if that doesn't set, if that, if all that I've done, the audience that I've built up and the quality of this, this next special isn't enough to make comedy my career, then, then I don't think it's going to happen. And the reason I say that is because I'm not, I don't want to be 52 and, and slide into the curmudgeon, oh, he's been a comics comic forever. Because by then I could be dead or alone or, or just depressed and unhappy because I, I don't, I don't do well with injustice um, both in the news and in my field. And I see a lot of injustice. I see a lot of laziness and I see a lot of injustice um, in, in, in comedy. And people can say, well, that's show business. I go, right. I'm not saying it's going to change. I'm not saying it will change. I'm not saying what I'm saying will change it. But there's only so long that I will tolerate being, um, being, for lack of a better word, victimized by that injustice. I'm not. I am fully aware of it. I know show business is tough, but at some point you can make the choice of, yeah, well, fuck it. I'm done with show business. Like, I'm going to pursue happiness over over career. If if they if they are mutually exclusive, which sometimes they feel like they are. The point is, half blackface is going to be a fucking legacy making landmark. Whether it becomes that or not, I don't know. But it's certainly going to be a significant milestone in my career. So I hope that you can tell your friends in New York if they want to see a truly great comedy special. Uh, that's the one to check out and get your tickets now. So Philly, Raleigh, New York City, and I hope to add Salt Lake City, Chicago, Ann Arbor, and D.C. and many other cities in the next month or two. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to this. This went longer than I expected. But, you know, eventually... Eventually, it perks up. Like Ronald Reagan Jr.'s hatred for his parents, eventually my quest for justification and validation uh, for my art will eventually uh, become a Shakespearean soliloquy at some point during every podcast episode. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for any and all support you provide for anything I do and everything I do. So uh, I hope you have a great week. Please go get vaccinated. Seriously, if you haven't been vaccinated, go get vaccinated. Stop already. Um, let's, let's get through this. Let's do the right thing. I'm sure many of you are, but if, if anybody's listening, who isn't vaccinated, come on, it's just do it. Like do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbors. Do it for your favorite podcaster. Even if it's not me, unless it's Joe Rogan, cause then he probably wouldn't want you to do it. Anyway, have a great week and I will see you next Tuesday. Podcast, podcast.